0: We are going to start today's conversation with Brad Harrison, founder and managing partner at Scout Ventures. Brad, welcome to the
1: show. Thanks. So good to be here. Happy to support your goal of uh, you know, helping a million entrepreneurs get to a million dollars.
0: Brad, let's get to know one another and let's introduce you to our audience. Tell us a bit about your background as well as what you're doing with Scout.
1: Sure. So, you know, I, I I would say I've kind of always been an entrepreneur. I grew up in a family where, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur. And so from the earliest stages from, you know, cutting lawns to painting company, I've, I've always kind of had a business. Um, and then ironically, I wound up going to the United States military academy at West point, studied Mm -hmm. theoretical economics and spent five years serving as a airborne ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, so had that nine years kind of of service and then came out of that and transitioned through um, the MBA program at MIT School of Management, studying on new product and venture development. So really focused on um, everything from building products to building businesses and and how you basically become an entrepreneur and how you fund entrepreneurs. Um, And was very fortunate that I was there during the first dot com bubble. So I got to see the insanity of, uh, you know, people dropping out of school, launching a company and selling it for a billion dollars. You know, six months later, it was it was a pretty exciting time. Um, But then I also got to see the implosion. And I got to see how when you don't have core fundamental strengths in your business, and that when you don't operate with discipline and focus and purpose, you know, you're not going to have a real business. Um, I spent time at America Online, was fortunate enough to work for Ted Leonsis, the vice chairman, um, and David Colburn, the head of business development. So got some really good experience on kind of like how a big tech company thinks about everything. Then I went to a small tech company that was in uh, the contextual advertising space and grew that to about 100 million in revenue. And then at that juncture, realized that I really wanted to help multiple entrepreneurs, not as many as you, not a million, but I figured, you know, it it was it was more um, a fit for me to help multiple entrepreneurs than it was um, to just focus on one company. So I started um, advising, um, was very fortunate that I got to come across some really amazing entrepreneurs. Um, one of my favorites from early on was a guy named Amar Goyle who started Comely and Pubmatic, which just went public last year. So pretty excited. saw that from day one all the way through IPO. Um, and then in 2009 I started um, investing and by 2011 I had created my first fund. We actually called it the BHV Entrepreneurship Fund and the uh, the, the purpose was to enable entrepreneurs. We viewed, our role as using our capital and our experience to make smart entrepreneurs build great companies. So that was kind of our goal. Um, Fast forward, uh, we have uh, four funds now. Um, I've built out the team. I have uh, two other partners, Wes Blackwell, who's a graduate of the Naval Academy and uh, Darden School of Business. And Sam Ellis, who's a graduate of uh, the Military Academy at West Point, and then our, our uh, associate is also a graduate of the Naval Academy. So now we have a very strong focus on what we call hard to access founders, which are founders coming out of the military, the intelligence community, and leading research institutions and national labs. So you know that's people transitioning out of the military, similar to the way I did, People coming out of the NSA, the CIA, who have spent a lot of time working and developing technologies that are now becoming civilians. And then people out of places like Carnegie Mellon, MIT, John Hopkins, Georgia Tech. And then the national labs, Sandia, Los Alamos, and a bunch of the national labs. And what we focus on is what we call dual-use technology. So technology that has both a, a government use as well as a commercial use. And our secret sauce is that we tap into what is called non-dilutive government funding. So it's neither mm-hmm. debt nor equity, but it's a form of, of it shows up on the, on the books as revenue, but it's really a, a program grant. So that can mm-hmm. come from the Army, the Air Force, that can come from a National Science Foundation, Department of Energy. It, it really depends. Um, and what most people don't realize is the largest investor in innovation since World War II is not Silicon Valley. It is the United States government. And there are um, billions and billions of dollars in each of these programs. You know, the Army's program for grants last year was about 3.3 billion. That's just the Army. Um, you know, the government is passing the Endless Frontier Act, um, which is about $110 billion to support innovation all through grants. So what we do is we take our money, non-dilutive capital, and a bunch of really smart people, and we use that to build companies that we say are making the world a better, safer place.
0: Very interesting. Very interesting and, and, and different.
1: Where are you operating out of, Brad? Uh, so we have a presence in New York, Washington, D.C., and Austin, Texas. I see. And you are based where? I am in Austin, Texas, after 20 years in New York City. So okay. the, the, the reason Austin became uh, uh, our new headquarters is at the request of um, several people that we were speaking in within the uh, the Department of Defense, Um, The former secretary of the Army and the chief of staff of the Army had asked us if we would be more involved in what the Army was doing, which was moving the center of innovation from Washington, D.C. to Austin, Texas. And they established a new innovation command called Army Futures Command, which is actually Mm -hmm. headquartered in Austin. And that Mm -hmm. command has six other subcommands. So, you know, the future mobility has a presence in Detroit, you know, the future of communications has a presence in Aberdeen Proving Grounds. <clears throat> so basically, we've we've centralized everything. And um, the other thing that's happened is that all of the major corporations that participate in this part of the economy, Boeing, Lockheed, General Dynamics, all, all of these really massive military industrial companies um, have brought part of their innovation teams here to to co-locate. So we have Army Futures Command, we have the Army Applications Lab, we have representatives from Air Force and all these other units. They're all centralized in Austin, Texas. So that's why we're here.
0: And you said you have four funds. What uh, what size funds are you uh, operating with?
1: um so our last bucket of money was a little over 50 million about uh between the primary fund and an spv it was about uh 56 57 million and we'll be we'll be raising our next fund should be somewhere i'm hoping north of 100. Mm
0: -hmm. and what check sizes
1: do you write so our, our core fund is a, a seed fund, and our seed checks tend to be 500,000 to a million dollar first check, and then we'll reserve one to three million and follow on. So mm-hmm. you know our, our largest positions in fund three are, are roughly 2.75 million three million, uh, you know and that's mm-hmm. over subsequent rounds. We also have a incubation program where we'll partner um it's led by my partner sam ellis um but we'll actually partner with an entrepreneur early on and we'll provide like the initial two hundred and fifty thousand in tranches as we Mm -hmm. build out the team and so if it's a a business person we might go find the cto if it's a cto we might go find the business person and the the reason we like to do that is we uh you know, as I mentioned, i I view myself more as an entrepreneur than a VC. Just so happens that my entrepreneurship was around building a VC. Um, and along the way, we incubated a couple of companies. Um, some of those, uh, one of them just relocated to um, Austin called a Shirley, which does insurance products for the kind of you know collaborative economy. So that business was founded and incubated out of Scout with my partner, John Rue. At the time, we came up with the concept. We funded the initial, and then we recruited the management team. And then the management team raised the Series A and is you know, now independent on their own. Our most successful company that came out of Scout was called uh, Unite Us, which was founded by Dan Brillman and Taylor Justice. Um, and they just completed a round led by iconic at a $1.65 billion valuation. Um, so what does st- st- do? say that again, what does United do? So unite us basically uses the social determinants of health to provide optimization in the health system. And they really do that with two sets of customers. So one set of customers is um, the Department of Health and Human Services at the state and city level. So currently we have 41 states as customers. I think we have 26 statewide um, engagements. So in the in the state of North Carolina, we have a, a, a relationship with the Department of Health and Human Services at the state level. And we have a presence in all 143 counties and we help kind of connect all the things that play in the healthcare. So it turns out that if you go to the emergency room and you find that woman that shows up with pneumonia every two to three months, if you actually look and you find out, well, she's not eating properly because she needs food assistance, and she's homeless, so she needs housing assistance, and she doesn't have a job, so she needs employment assistance, and she doesn't have a job because she needs education assistance. So what the governments are realizing is that they can really lower the burden on the healthcare system by addressing that, and then you layer in in the United States the opioid epidemic, right, yeah. which is a, a really a, a, a huge crisis that again can be addressed by some of these social determinants of health. So we have health and human services as as one of our main constituents, and then on the other side, our um, customers are. Um, Kaiser Permanente Dignity Health CVS at Blue Cross Blue Shield and what we're doing on that side is using the same technology and adding optimization within the healthcare system so you know it turns out that you know you you trip and you sprain your ankle and I trip and I sprain my ankle if I go if I go to my doctor my doctor says okay go do PT for 12 weeks and he writes me a script and I go to PT and it costs the, the insurance company $2,000 in PT. Your doctor says, oh no, 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 let's send you to a specialist, you then go to an orthopedic, he sends you for x-rays and an MRI, and then at the end of those you know, six weeks of tests, he writes you the same script for 12 weeks of PT. Well, you cost $80,000 on the health system and I cost $2,000. So they're trying to also predict outcomes by looking at different variables. And ultimately Mm -hmm. it's all about data and it'll ultimately come down to the actual providers, the doctors. Um, But there's also a lot of stuff related to care coordination. So if a patient comes in and they need to get referred to a social worker, the whole platform is now digital instead of paper.
0: Very, very interesting. So, I'm um, curious, when you work with these statements on, you know, really identifying opportunities to impact, I guess, socially disadvantaged people, what are you seeing? What, are, what is actionable? What are the governments doing with that data? Are they changing policy? Are they introducing programs? What's happening?
1: Excuse me. Um, excuse me, allocating money is really the main thing, sorry, Uh, excuse me, one second. It could
0: take a moment, no worries.
1: Sorry, I think I got some uh, green tea from my tea bag stuck in my throat there you go i you know i gave up coffee like five years ago and now i drink matcha and tea and who knew you could choke on it anyway uh, i also get very excited about talking about some of our companies so maybe that was it um so you're seeing a couple of things you're seeing governments trying to change policies you're mm-hmm. seeing governments actually wanting to understand how to use technology and data to improve yeah. patient outcomes. And, you know, we did some tests with the Department of Veteran Affairs using unite Us's technology. And what we saw was people that were actually processed through the pl- platform, their outcomes were astronomically better than people that were getting processed in yeah. the old paper. Um, yeah. And it's really, really hard to argue with that da- data, you know, and some of the data is like, well, you know, when you process things through paper, you know, it might take 90 days from when somebody says, hey, I need help to getting help. Well, if that person is having mental health or suicidal, yeah. right, like like 90 days, like that's that's not going to work. So a lot of it is I think the governments, um, especially at the state level, are really trying to allocate resources to be more efficient. Um you know, I'm not, I, I'd i say my partner Wes is probably the guy, he's in D.C., so he's much more of the policy, um, yeah. political side of the house in terms of tracking. You know, ultimately, it, it's pretty simple. Food, water, shelter, the basic things that people need, right? It's, yeah. it's not that complex. Um, yeah, and,
0: but it's not that complex, and it's so complex. I mean, I live in Menlo Park. Um, San Francisco is, is a really large homeless problem. And for years and years and years, the government has not been able to solve this problem. And this yeah. continues to yeah. be terrible.
1: I mean, we have, we have the same thing in Austin.
0: So right? coming back to the uh, you know, more the venture discussion, um, what do you like to see before writing a half a million to million dollar seed check? What do you like to see in the company?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we over index on the founders, right? So our our biggest thing is for us is chemistry with the founding team, right? So we, you know, we try to make sure that, you know, we have that chemistry. That's probably number one. And in checking that chemistry, I think for us, you know, we plan on being partners with that entrepreneur, at least in the first venture for 10 to 15 years. And if that goes well, we plan on keeping them in our bullpen forever, right? When you find a good entrepreneur, you wanna keep working with them. And so it's it's a little bit of coachability and compatibility. Um, we wanna make sure that there's no issues with integrity or, more, or moral code, right? Feeling like we, we all have the same values is pretty important. That's kind of like the people side. And then from a business, you know, we want to see that the entrepreneur can articulate a clear vision of what they're trying to build and why it's important. Um, You know, there are a lot of entrepreneurs that have great ideas that are just not venture businesses. They're they're great businesses and they can make a million or two million dollars and they can be a great lifestyle business for that entrepreneur. And we're fully supportive of that. But that doesn't mean it's going to get the scale of venture businesses. So we want to understand the vision. We want to see how it's going to get to scale. And then lastly, we want to understand how what our special skills are at Scout is going to help exponentially grow that business. How Mm -hmm. is, you know, our relationships within the DoD potentially useful How's a relationship with the government lab potentially useful? What, what are the things um, that we bring to the table that can um, help differentiate um, that company?
0: Okay. And um, when you do these incubation stage ventures where you're writing like a 250 k check, what is beyond all this, what else is relevant for an entrepreneur to be considered for
1: that? Yeah, I mean, I would say in, in that program, it's it's kind of really about just the person or or people, right? So normally it's their background, um, what they've done that's relevant to whatever they're they're kind of thinking about right now. You know, we we have a, an entrepreneur that we were, you know, probably going to move forward with who had experience at five or six major companies you know mm-hmm. had very big budgets was able to you know understand the way those budgets worked in in context of growing customer audiences and and retention you know just had very 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 experience relevant with mm-hmm. a bunch of brands that were very successful and out of that has a vision for a product that, you know, he thinks he can build that would help all these emerging brands really more efficiently acquire customers. And so that's interesting to us. Has some AI involved. He's got a lot of experience, knows the landscape, 20 years doing it. Um, So we're really looking for relevant experience. Um, And then to some extent, just the intellectual horsepower, right? Being an entrepreneur is a really lonely and stressful job (laughs) right there's you know the buck kind of stops with you so you know you're looking for the right um you know person in the right stage of life uh you know i i wouldn't recommend anybody that just had three small kids decide to quit their job and become an entrepreneur on that given day it is like not the best time although i was an entrepreneur you know, before I had kids and while I had kids and I was very lucky that my wife was super supportive and, you know, she worked and that, you know, that enabled me to take more chances. And so, you know, we had our own team dynamic and it worked out. But a lot of it is also, you know, being able to commit the cycles. Most of our entrepreneurs in those incubation programs tend to skew younger, single um Coming off of some sort of corporate experience, and you know, worked at Google or Facebook or you know, some big brand.
0: And how many of, or what percentage of your entrepreneurs follow the path that you took? You did uh, one of the military schools. or so your partners? You all did one of the military schools, and then you did MIT for business school. Is
1: there? Yeah. So, A so, so, couple, couple of things. Yeah, so so we launched, we also, um, my partner Wes and I, um, with the support of kind of um, Sam as well, we launched something called the Academy Investor Network. Um, mm-hmm. And the Academy Investor Network is actually designed specifically to help veterans and graduates of the service academies who are building businesses. And they tend to be earlier in the life cycle pre seed a little bit earlier than Scout can handle. And we mm-hmm. hired, um, we hired two amazing people to run that company. One is uh, Sherman Williams, and one is Emily McMahon. Uh, Sherman is a Naval Academy grad, Emily is a West Point graduate, and they're both. They're amazing. Actually, Sherman is helping uh, Shermans out west right now, helping run um, Tech Stars. Um, and he's helping run that program out there with Matt cause love. Um, so that helps a bunch of the very early that sees a lot more entrepreneurs with kind of that service Academy background, because that's mm-hmm. really like, a, a feeder for what we're doing at scout, even though we kind of help launch it and support it. I'd say at scout, you know, um, maybe 20% of the founders come out of the service academies, maybe last, I'd say it's more, you know, um, I'm just trying to think right now. You know, we have a team out of the NSA, we have a team out of the CIA. But my question was a bit more like, what percentage of these
0: kind of backgrounds, the military or government services backgrounds? have a combination of a stint at a major university like you did?
1: Uh, well, I think a lot of people that transition- Is that transition, a common path? Yeah, well, listen, I, I think a very traditional path to transitioning out of the military is to go to grad school. Right, like okay. that. That that is, is a common a, path. A, that is a very common path. If you're getting out early in your career, if you're getting out after 20 years, yeah, you've probably different. are you've probably already gotten a master's or a doctorate while you were in the military. So you okay. you've already done that, right? Um, so I think a lot of them have done that. The the national labs population tend to not have the military background, but most of the people that have been in the national labs, mm-hmm. you know, spent 10 years at Los Alamos, right? And they worked under whoever was the pioneer um, yeah. in technology oh, actually yeah, yeah. yeah so you know we have four quantum computer companies um, or qu- quantum technology companies but it's only one does computers. And you know one of those is out of Toronto, one of those is out of Berkeley, um, one of them's out of Texas and the other one is out of New Mexico. And so one came out of Los Alamos. One came out of Berkeley. Um, the one out of Toronto um, had some different universities involved. Um, and the one out of Texas was just a bunch of people that had worked at Apple for 25 years, you know, like people that had really had lots and lots of experience. Okay. Very interesting.
0: Very interesting snapshots and uh, segmentation of the entrepreneur population we would be very interested in also um, the piece of this population that are not necessarily doing venture-scale companies because um, I've worked with people from military backgrounds. They, one of the key success factors in entrepreneurship is resilience and toughness.
1: Totally and agree.
0: The population that you are talking about definitely has that and has that by training. So yep. even if they're not doing venture-scale companies, I'm sure they are very capable of doing successful, sustainable businesses, which is our mission. Great. All right. we to-
1: well,
0: please go ahead, you were gonna say something. No.
1: I, listen, I, I think to your point, you know, a lot of people, they, they misunderstand people with military training. So they don't, you know, they're like, Oh, they just follow orders and they don't do that. You know, your average young soldier who spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan. And by the way, we've been at war for 20 years. So pretty much if they've served in the last 20 years, they probably spent time in a combat zone. You know, those soldiers are required to make decisions under pressure every single day. They're They're designed to, they're required to make that decision on the fly. They have to be responsible, right? So I couldn't agree more. I actually think they make the best entrepreneurs. You know, the other thing, and you mentioned you're in Menlo Park, so I'll pick a little bit at the West Coast, but the other thing about these entrepreneurs is they really care more about getting the right investor and building the right company than they do about what valuation they raised at or how much press they got, right? They're really like mission focused. Um, and so we actually find that our, our we have two billion dollar unicorns. Uh, sorry, we have two unicorns in fund two. Both of them are by military led founders, Unite Us and ID.me. And we have another unicorn in fund three and one of the founders is uh, an Air Force Academy graduate who is an F-15 fighter pilot. Um, mm-hmm. So if you look at our data, we're seeing the results out of that population.
0: See, I'll give you a bit more about how we think about entrepreneurship, which I think is synergistic with what you're saying. Our definition of entrepreneurship is customers, revenues and profits. Financing is optional. Exit is optional. So if you take that lens, valuation and and press and all of these things matter less. What matters more are the fundamentals of can you actually build repeatability in your business such that you can constantly sell whatever product or service to a large population of people to grow your business. And I think the the point that I, uh, besides resilience and toughness, there's also the discipline factor. Because when you're trying to build repeatability in a business, it's not like you're inventing brilliant stuff every day. What you're creating is discipline in an, and process in an organization such that a whole bunch of people can follow that process and successfully execute on your objectives, tasks, missions, all of those across every level that is that the, the trick of that is discipline and regularity it is not necessarily being a genius
1: totally agree totally agree okay. couldn't couldn't agree more and and you know listen those, those customer revenues and profits right like that's the same thing we focus on you know right. it's you know whether or not they take money from us to accelerate the growth of any of those areas, you know, is is really what it comes down to. But, you know, there are a lot of really smart people that can build great businesses and be very, very happy, um, you know, by just being consistent and uh, doing it over and over again.
0: Yeah, very good. Let's uh, listen to Esteban. Thank you for your comments and sharing this unique uh, snapshot of the entrepreneurship universe, Brad. It was a pleasure listening to you.